you know he ain't squashing no beef, no beef. My dog got dumped in the middle of the road. We leaving this shit in the street. Got some shorties outside and they lurking for me. What's up, everybody? Happy New Year. AOS Podcast is back, episode 13. It's entitled Increasing the 2%. Excited to be here with you. We got a lot of stuff we're going to cover today. But before we even get to that, it's a lot we got to talk about. It's going to happen in D.C. But before, as always, follow us on Facebook, the AOS Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, the AOS Podcast. And subscribe to our YouTube page, the AOS Podcast. Ball Doc, what's up, man? A little check-in real quick before we jump into with our guests and then jump into what's happening in D.C. What's going on with y'all? Hey, just real quick, man. I'm, I'm happy to be back in the lab with you boys. Shout out 2021. We doing big things because uh, I'm ready to get this show popping, man. We, we done put in some work. We had some stuff that popped off last minute that we're going to definitely get into. So I'm ready to get it popping. Bob, what about you, brother? What's up? Yeah, fellas. Uh, ba- happy to be back with you. Happy New Year. It's good to see you all. Um rested and recharged ready to go and and now we got a lot a lot to talk about we got a lot uh that we planned for and uh we didn't plan for this uh intro but hey we're gonna make it happen good to see y'all absolutely we got three dynamic brothers with us and we're gonna give them the space to formally introduce themselves but you're gonna get to hear their passion as we jump into dc so let's just jump right into it i think everybody's probably glued to the news or seen the alert on their phone of what's happening um at the at the capitol so Man, Bob, I'm gonna start with you, brother. Man, what what what's going through your mind as you watch that and see that what's happening in DC? Yeah, man, I, I think this is uh it's not surprising. You know, a lot of people are, are surprised to see, you know, all these protesters and Trump supporters uh up in DC and, and doing it. And then when they crash the Capitol, like, you know, wow. But but we if, if we understand anything about history, when when folks get upset, specifically folks that are that are white get upset and aren't happy with what's going on in the community, uh, in the government, they're going to take up arms and they're going to do, uh, do the, these types of things and, and, and be aggressive. And it's, it's just sad that, um, you know, the same thing doesn't happen, uh, to them when, uh, that, that happens to black people when we stand up for, for our rights, when we just want to be treated civilly. Yeah. Uh, Cornell, Mario, Jason, man, any, any, y'all want to jump in on, on what y'all seeing in D.C., man? How, how it's impacting y'all? Yeah, man. He said it 100%. It's just, it's, it's a lot, man. These four, uh, I had to shut it off a little earlier just to, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's interesting. I, I think about, and I don't want to make the comparison, but like if this was, Black Lives Matter protests or any group led by another marginalized group, I don't think we would have gotten this far. So um, I know it is kind of I think I'm going to have to do some unpacking once this is all over. But um, I don't know right now. Man, wow. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, this is the first time I'm, I'm actually on a uh, on a interview conversation with Jason. And like, I don't know, maybe like two years. <laughs> we always on like separate like schedules and stuff. So I'm like, dang, this is amazing. But, um, but so I agree, Jason, me and Jason actually was on a call earlier, um, when everything starts to go down. I think both of us kind of got distracted while we were actually on a call. Um, um, and it was crazy. I had, I was literally on a call when the, uh, and they just confirmed that the, that the girl who got, uh, shot in the, in the, in the, um, in the Capitol died. But I was on a call when they rolled the stretcher past the 
past the cameraman. I don't think they meant to do that, but like literally her whole neck was like bloody and everything. That was crazy. I never seen that before in my life. So like, you know, this is something that obviously will go down in history, but I think it, um, I think what I'm hearing honestly is I, I saw this, this on Twitter. Somebody said like, if, um, if United States saw the United States do this to United States, the United States would have attacked the United States a long time ago. I was like, wow, like, that's crazy because yeah, if this was happening in another country, we would have immediately been been there and like tried to like help that country out. So this is happening here, and we gotta figure we gotta figure out you know where to go next. Absolutely, Doc Cornell, man, what what, what y'all thinking, man? Yeah, so can y'all hear me? All right. Yeah, yeah, we got you, bro. I'm 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 I think I I defer to them because I'm in the state of shock. Um, like, I think that's really, and I, and I like Dr. Ball, like you said, I'm a historian, so I understand, you know, the, the founding fathers would be cheering them on right now. Mm. This is exactly what this country was founded upon. White men taking what they've been taught that they are masters of into their own hands in order to change what they see fit. Uh, and there was a quote, some, some dude ran up on a uh, lady on CNN and was like, if you don't hear our voices today, you're going to hear our muskets tomorrow. And I'm like, man, if these people don't quit, because that's really where they headed. You know, and these people are, have the, the resources. They have the Netflix shows that show them all the different ways to make all the bombs and how to take control and perform a coup. And they got all the, the, the framework that they need and all the tools that they need to make this happen. It's, it's really scary to live through a time like this. Um, and to witness this this type of history go down, you know, but it's it's definitely a moment to be a part of. What a time to be alive, as as mm. some folks would say. Yeah, Doc, man, what, what what's going through your head, man? Like the, just the whole day, man. Like I, I I woke up this morning, you know, turn on the news to see what happened in Georgia, and just was like, man, this is a historical moment. Um, came to school, we had principals check in this morning, and I remember during the principal check in, I just told my staff, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican, like just take time to appreciate the historical time you currently live in. Um, you know, the 116th Congress has been sworn in. We have the most women ever to serve in Congress. In two weeks, we're going to have a minority woman sworn in as vice president. And we have a black man that's going to be a state senator out of Georgia. Um, and we know all the history behind the things that came on with the civil rights movement in Georgia and things like that. And then to just within a couple of hours, see what took place at the Capitol was like, man, like while you're embracing one side of history, there's this uglier side of history that always kind of rears his head. But I want to go back to July 27th, 2020 at 3.28 p.m. Um, the person that occupies the Oval Office at this moment put out a tweet. And this tweet said, anarchists, agitators, and protesters who vandalize or damage our federal courthouses in Portland or any federal building in any of our cities or states will be persecuted under our recent reenact the statues and monuments act minimum of 10 years in prison don't do it so i screenshotted it and went ahead and tweeted it out and said he must really didn't really mean this like it must have been a joke because actually where's this force that you was showing back then today but we all know it's a double standard you know and the last thing i'll just say is if somebody posted right before we got on i seen on facebook uh one of my friends it said black folks fall back because this ain't our fight like, I don't want black folks out here trying to play hero at this time. Let these white folks do what these white folks going to do and just protect yourself and your family. I mean, to the point where I let my staff leave early today because I don't know what's going to pop off. So, like, mm -hmm. y'all go ahead and go home. So 
I don't want no black folks out there thinking you got to play Captain Save a Ho for America today. Let that let them do what they're gonna do. Hey, that's real. Hey, man, I, I want to. So something. So today, as we know that he's he led a the Save America march, and in that march, he says the following: Third world countries are more honest. We will not let them silence our voices. We're not going to let this happen. Third world countries are more, and he's referring to the election, an election that he believes was stolen from him. And so what he's now attempting to do is to steal the election back by, as Doc, you stated, doing the very thing that he sent riot gear police officers with tear gas and shotguns on peaceful protesters who were marching because police officers were killing unarmed black people for no reason. Like that, that's where we're at now that th these folks can vandalize the Capitol. But if you march down the street in Washington, you get tear gas thrown at you led by this guy, all because he's throwing a 72 year old temper tantrum because he lost, he lost the competition. He lost the race and to watch what's happening. And then to watch, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that it's the inside job, but the police just seem real laxed on moving in and the security protocols were just real low and, and, and minor. But for some reason, they knew well in advance when we were going to march, right? The moment that a verdict comes out of a, of a police officer not killing a black person, getting indicted, all of a sudden, police from all over everywhere ready to go before we even take one step. It, it's all funny, but, but here, here's the bottom line. January, what, 21st, 2021, at 10.30 a.m. Eastern, Joe Biden will be sworn in as president and Kamala Harris will be vice president. So all of this, he's trying to de delay the inevitable, is it silly. But I'm with you, Doc. Uh, don't go out trying to say nobody. But Black folks, I will say this. Stay ready. Oh, and the thing about it, though, I mean, this is what people keep saying. You're right. January 21st, you know, he's, he's going to become president of the United States. But these folks still going to be out there. So just because Biden's going to be sworn in as president ain't going to change all these people that storm the Capitol. So like you said, I just I just want black folks to make sure that they stay stay safe. You know, say um, and, and and like my, my boy, Doc Coast, I stay strapped up, like keep the Nina with you. I'm going to let you know. Keep the Nina with you because this it's going to get ugly before it get better, because I guarantee you he still got 14 days. That's a fact. So, so look, so, so go ahead, Bob. I'm, I'm gonna jump in real quick. Y'all talking about this with your uh, with your staffs and having your your uh, teachers prepared to discuss this tomorrow, right? We're gonna have to. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I mean, that's that's one of the things in my head right now. I'm just like, you know, we can't let these moments pass by. I mean, we go back, you know, so many times. We just let this type of thing. Oh, you know, it's another day. You know, stuff happened last night. Yeah, it is what it is. But I mean, we 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 can't allow this to go on without our kids because our kids are paying attention and you know we're, we're all talking about how we're processing this right now you know if we, if we have kids at home they're going to see how we're responding and how we're reacting and uh, they need to be prepared and they need to understand as much as possible at whatever level we need to break it down to them at uh, they need to understand uh, what's going on uh, and uh, you know again I, I, I'm a historian as well you know there, there's history behind this type of thing happening and so um, you know we, we just can't let this moment pass uh, without addressing it with our kids tomorrow. And with that I'm, I'm going to encourage all the leaders out there because you're going to have some teachers that don't know how to 
process with some kids. So I'm going I'm to need leaders to be ready to step in and have those conversations um, with those, you know, t- students who teachers say, hey, I'm not up for this or whatever. Like you, you can't use it as an excuse not to address this issue at this time. And you see why it's important. Schools taking out things like social studies and history. You see why it's important why kids must have the historical context, because as y'all said, we got a lot of high school kids that have gone through almost 12 years of education. And this is going to seem like it's something brand new. But as we all stated, man, you go back to what, 1814 with things like this. And so it's just the importance of why you got to understand the history. And and I think uh, Brother Cornell said it best, like this is what this country was built on, man. Like this is this is how we got here. Right. They stole it from some. So it's all coming back. But listen, we stay strapped, stay ready, uh, but also protect yourself. And, and there's some 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 fights that do, this this ain't this ain't it. This ain't <laughs> it for us. <laughs> nah, this ain't our fight. So <laughs> this so just like the Democrats was going to sit back and watch those Republicans tear each other apart over a, a meaningless um, argument over election. We just need to sit back and let them do whatever they're going to do. Because, again, he'll be out of office in 14 some odd days or whatever. So that's it. So, again, we see the folks in the comments. Keep jumping in the comments. We'd love to hear your thoughts. But we're going to dive. We're going to dive into what got us here. And so this episode is entitled Increasing the 2%. And I don't know if you can tell from this screen, but this screen is the is the essence of how we're increasing the 2%. And so we're going to talk about. The obvious thing, the need for black male teachers. And so before we even do that, we got to yield the floor because we jump right into a heavy topic. Again, I mentioned we got three dynamic brothers with us, and I want to give them the floor and the opportunity to introduce themselves and the work that they're doing. They're doing some amazing work, not just in their own locales, but across the country. So we'll start with uh, Brother Cornell, man. Introduce yourself to the AOS fam. What you about? Who you are, brother? What's up, y'all? That's my son, Leon. You might hear him in the background. Uh, He's 18 months old. He's my pride and joy. Uh, And the reason why I do this work, right, uh, I work to increase the 2% through Block. Brothers Liberating Our Communities is a nonprofit organization aimed at increasing the number of Black male educators in the K-12 experience. Uh, We work through three verticals, recruiting, retaining, and advancing. So across the whole pipeline, our goal is to add more and more black males to this process, add more black men to the classroom and keep them there for, for their entirety of their career. Uh, I know that when I was a student, I had no black male educators and um, that was my formative experience. And when I got to college and when I realized I wanted to be a teacher, I knew that, that was something that had to change. Um, and as I looked around my early years of teaching, I realized it wasn't enough of us, man. And the impact that we have is so, so strong. And I know that's what we're going to be talking about today. So I'm just glad to be here. Thanks for having me on with, with a bunch of strong brothers. I'm always willing to make more connections and look forward to having these types of conversations. Likewise. Hey, what's that What's that hoodie say, man? I'm trying to see that. what, the, what that hoodie oh, says. Oh, the People's Free Food Program, boy. This, man, let's this go. Right let's here. go. Yeah. There we go. There we go. There we go. Well, man, w- welcome How to the show. A- Power to the people, man, for always no everything. Right? No doubt, no doubt. Uh, next up, we got two dynamic brothers who actually, man, from afar, I, I've seen and heard, have heard about the work that they've been doing with their organization. So, Jason, Mario, talk about Profound Gentlemen. Talk about you two individually, like how y'all got started with this work, how you came together, and what y'all doing uh, to, to, to increase that 2%. Yeah. Jason, you go first. This is <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Your name I, 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 before mine. 
<laughs> um, so my name is uh, you know, Jason Terrell. Um, originally born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia, and I live there now. But I uh, started my career as a, a K-12 well, middle school English teacher. And according to I have a 15-month, well, 16-month-old son. Uh, so I definitely my why has changed over over the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, so me and Mario we co-founded Profound Gentlemen um, around 2014. Um, I mean, really based off of the experience that I'm sure all of us have about, you know, I was one of the few men of color, black men in my school buildings. And uh, I heard somebody say earlier around, like, we weren't hired to be the, uh, you know, a security officer, but that was a little bit of my experience of, uh, you know, I was a football coach, baseball coach in my school, but was really never given an opportunity to lead PD, like, you know, you know, kind of like do things that, uh, you know, enhance my academic performance, but it was always, you know, call on Mr. T for, you know, certain behavior issues in, in the school, but it really didn't have a space for, for, for me to, to have that, you know, have conversation with other, other brothers who were going through that same experience. And so um, that's a little bit of how I, I was kind of led to, to co-found PG, but I'll turn it to Mario maybe to share more about the backstory of it, but I'm glad to be here. And um, Ellis, we definitely got to find a way to build, man. I mean, Cornell. Yeah. yeah, for sure, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we started in 2000. Well, first, my name is Marge Javon Shaw. I'm originally from Cleveland, Ohio. I currently live right now here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, and yeah, I started teaching in 2012. Um, and then in 2014, obviously, uh, Jonathan Farrell, just like stuff like this is currently, you know, we've seen all throughout the summer, but Jonathan Farrell got shot and killed by a police officer. Um, and so I was teaching seventh grade at the time and I saw that my boys of color needed additional support. And so I started a program to talk about like, what does it mean to be a male of color growing up in today's society? And uh, we met every week. And then they were the ones that told me that I was their first black male teacher. I had no idea that I was their first black male teacher, that there were only 2% of black male teachers nationally. So my why in a sense has always been uh, with them because they were the ones that actually introduced me to this work around the fact that there were only 2% black male teachers um, nationally. So my students and I, we began a campaign. We got in the news. Uh, we also uh, did different speaking engagements on why um, male teachers of color were important. And then Jason was also doing the same thing. So him and I collaborated, worked together. And the organization started just with a simple uh, group me of 100 or so people within the first week that we started our group me. And then we just wanted to start to cultivate that. We knew that like just coming together and, and just listening to, to them was not uh, enough just like just creating community just that way. We knew that we wanted to enhance um, the experience that male uh, educators of color experience as well as the instruction that they are providing to their students. So that's how PG started. Man, that, man that's powerful. That's powerful. So we're gonna get, we're gonna get right into the topic, man. Yeah. The need, the need. You know, the need for black male teachers. And, and El Michelle, I'm gonna put something in the comments about you know who did a traditional program. That would be I. I'm one of those traditional program people. So I just thought <laughs> I would name that for the audience that I did do a traditional program. But but brothers, uh, Bob Doc. Uh, fellas, fellas, what's the need for black male teachers? Why is there a need? Uh, is there a need? Let's start with that. Is there a need, and, and why is the need important? You muted, you muted dog. brother, uh -oh. and you going ham too. I'm mean, I, I just <laughs> said some dope stuff, y'all miss. <laughs> nah, so uh, just just to go with El Michelle. Yes, I, I definitely from the traditional route. Um, 
I, I'm kind of shocked that David and Dave look like a Teach for America kind of person, but uh, <laughs> wow, 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 nah, that's a little inside joke, inside joke. But uh, the, the, the need for me basically, um, growing up, I, I didn't experience my first black male teacher until I got to high school, and he wasn't even my teacher, he's actually my track coach. Um, but just being able to have conversations with him. Um, not about just curriculum stuff, but stuff going on outside of school stuff as a, you know, a young black man trying to figure out his way. Um, he was also uh, basically one of the reasons why I ended up going into education um, and becoming a math teacher and things like that. But also the reason I think is to counteract some of the negativity that our young black men and black uh, girls face in schools from either the majority or other black teachers when they don't get um, the recognition that they need. And I tell people this story many a times that my first black teacher was Miss Lewis, fourth grade, Martin Luther King Elementary, Toledo, Ohio, um, basically on Doran LaGrange. Uh, I remember Miss Lewis taking me and putting me in front of the class and basically telling me everything I wasn't going to be. I was going to be a statistic. I was going to do this. I was going to be just like my uncles and all like that. And this was the first time I experienced a black teacher. And after that, I'm like, if this is what black having a black teacher is about, why would I ever want to experience that again? You know, so that was kind of the, the why is to counteract a lot of the negativity that's out there um, that our young black kids face. And then, you know, it's for me, that role model piece as well for a lot of kids who grow up in the inner city who don't never see black men in a professional role. So to be able to make that connection with them from a professional standpoint, saying no matter your background, no matter what you've been through, you can make it out too. it, was, it might be a little bit tougher, but don't give up on your dream. Man, that's powerful. Yeah, that is powerful. Yeah, I, Go yeah, ahead, Mario. I, um, yeah, I agree with you about the pipeline. You know, um, what's interesting, I, I always share the story about my dad. Um, and I and I think about when people talk about like professional roles, like my dad worked at <laughs> but I think about it, my dad was a juvenile detention uh a boot camp sergeant, but he also was a drug dealer, sold weed on the side. So it was like he was <laughs> doing both right so like i would answer the door uh for his quote-unquote clients to come in so they can make sure they got their weed and everything like that when i was growing up and but i, I the cool thing about this and i always bring this up is because like the first time i saw in a sense maybe like even i could teach it was my dad right um and my dad was i saw how he worked in a sex offenders department at that and i saw how he saw kids um in like this bright light he didn't look at like the worst of what they did. He looked at like who they were as like and who they could potentially like become. And he would take when, when we didn't have a sitter and when him and my mom both had to work at the same time, he would take me and my sister to his to his job. And we would actually be able to see him uh, interact with his students. He would actually call them students. Right. And. And he would trust them. I mean, we would sit there and we would play games with them. And sometimes he wasn't in, in a room. And you have to think that these were, you know, sex offenders. These were guys who had raped individuals, but like they had such a strong relationship with my dad. And I got to see these individuals be rehabilitated. So, you know, we consider like people who are in a, in a, in a, in a justice system, like the slums of the slums. And I got to see my dad actually see them in like a brighter light. And I got to see him see them be quote unquote rehabilitated. And I think that's why there's such a need for uh, individuals and people because man, like it's so, it's, it, we need a variety of individuals to show up in a pipeline. I did have four male teachers of color in, uh, from K through 12th grade, majority in middle school. And out of all of them, um, only one of them I felt like actually saw me as a person. 
the other ones, you know, they didn't see me for who I was and, 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 and provided me with different opportunities. So I think about that all the time. Like, unfortunately, like I, I'm going um, exactly what uh, you had previously said was like, you know, my experience of male educators of color for the majority part of it was not positive. And so when we started PG, I really wanted to make sure that we created a variety and we were actually helping guys to actually be able to see their kids, to show up, to actually really show up for their kids and not just show up just because they're a black male teacher. And I feel like that's what a lot of my male teachers of color did when I was in school. They just showed up and was like, well, I'm a black male teacher. Y'all just going to listen to me. And they didn't necessarily create those strong relationships that was needed. That's it. I, the, the fellas know I talk about this a lot, man. It was 17 when I decided to be a teacher. So I knew early on, but it wasn't until college where it really got fostered. And shout out to Central State University and the School of Education. But even, oh even then, I remember Central State. We're going to talk about Central State later. There's a lot that goes down there. But when you, when you, when you go into a, a School of Education program and, and Doc Smith, you know this, who do you see? Mostly women, right? So you go to an HBCU, right? But see, I go to a, a black college, right? So I'm thinking, all right, it's going to be some other brothers. It was me, another other brother who dropped out and took the business route, and then a bunch of beautiful black queens, right? And so it's like, man, like there really is a need. So even at an HBCU, you don't mm. even have a pipeline there. So if there's not even a pipeline at a historical black college university, what do you expect that these other PWIs to get the same thing? And so, but for me, being a teacher, Hmm. was all about what one of my professors said. She said, if you look at the essence of the black community, when it was strong, black men were two things. They were preachers and they were teachers. And if we're going to get back to, to our black community being strong, we need more black male teachers because we, we got the preacher part. There's legacy in being a, in a preacher, right? We're seeing it right now with uh, Senator-elect uh, Reverend Warnock, right? Like there's a legacy with that. But when are we going to start this legacy for principals? When are you going to see that black male principal that takes over that school that his dad ran, that his grandfather ran. That's when you know we're doing that work right. And so I think we got to be relentless when we start having legacies in, in these positions. So it's funny. Before, real quick before Jason and Cornell jump in, I want them to hit upon this as well. Because we two of y'all have already talked about the pipeline. And I just want to, if y'all could talk in there about, because I don't think the problem with the pipeline is most black males that I know of that go into education, they figure it out once they get to college or a second career. We never talk to kids in middle school or high school about becoming educators at that time. So if they could just hit upon that part about just when did you decide to go into education and was there any conversation in, in middle or high school about you going into education when you were there or is it something that came later on in life? Yeah, I, I was going to jump back into the, that. Yeah, I'll yeah, jump back saying, for them. I'll, I mean, you mentioned that the preacher-teacher kind of dichotomy. That's that's a little bit of my experience. I, my parents had me in high school, so I, I grew up with my grandparents. My grandfather was a minister in Atlanta, so I was kind of a preacher's kid, uh, you know, and, and definitely saw him as, like, my he was my only black male teacher, basically. I saw him fall in love with book. You know, he, he was an avid reader, so, you know, I have, I read books all the time, so I kind of looked at him a little bit. But uh, school was never a place where I felt, seeing her like I, I didn't enjoy school and I never wanted to be a teacher. I never want to return back to a school site. Um so I I know y'all was joking about you know, Teach for America. I'm, I'm a Teach for America core member. Um <laughs> so that was Doc. I found, Doc did that. I think for me every 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 summer I, I was on the track. I didn't know what I wanted to you know do when I went to college. Um I just knew I didn't want to be education. So but every every summer instead of uh I will always go back to Atlanta and work at urban leagues and after school programs. And I always find myself with kids all the time. 
Um, and it was really a professor. I was a political science major and I was going to go to law school. And I had a professor who was like, Jason, you're not going to be happy in a law route. Like, you got to figure it out, figure it out. And so it was like my senior year, I was just trying to think about all the things that I've done, you know, to culminate my experience. Like, what was that thing that I enjoyed the most? And it was always with young young people and working with kids. And that's how I, I found my path. But uh, now nobody ever had the conversation with me about being a teacher. That wasn't a thing in my community. Um, yeah, just never had that. I never had a black female teacher. I had coaches, you know, I played sports, but I had, I had coaches who were, I don't even think they were at the school. They were hired in um, and just to coach the sport. But I've never had a teacher who I looked at as like my favorite teacher, you know. Um, well, I guess, I mean, I already spilled the beans a little bit. I didn't have technically a black male educator, right, uh, as like an actual teacher. My father was a very important educational figure in my life. My mother has been in education for over 30 years. My sister is also an educator. So I'm always been around and in education my sister's older than me so when she graduated from high school she got she went from undergrad through phd in, in less than a decade she was a real killer in the classroom it always kind of caused me to follow right behind her i never i, I kind of had a similar experience in school i wasn't always that i wasn't a school kid um i had several teachers tell me that i wasn't nothing that i wasn't gonna make it um that i wasn't gonna be um alive let alone successful right in the hood and, and in the schools that i that i started at in the schools that i went to um and for but for high school i had a different experience i went to uh all white all boys jesuit school if y'all know rockhurst high school here in kansas city um and that was kind of the first time that i really experienced the inequities and the opportunities in education that existed in kansas city uh, and across the nation and so i really started to take a look critically at my education Throughout college, I searched for capital T truth through history, figuring out myself, my own knowledge, kind of where my people came from, seeking out the reasons why our communities were the way that they were. I started out as a sociology major. Shit, I didn't know what sociology was, but I knew I thought about it all the time, right? It blew my mind. So started out as sociology. I was also a ball player, so I played football at Mizzou for a couple of years, um, and my father had died. So my father died my senior year of high school, which means I lost my one black male educator. If we want to look at it that way. And I was I was heartbroken. You know, I didn't handle college well. I didn't handle the shift well. And I ended up not handling my social emotional health well, dropping out of college and having to refine my value in education as well. So, like, when I finally got back around to education, I realized that that was something that all kids needed. Um, somebody like me <clears throat> that and I've heard it here today. Right. Black men are not a monolith. There's black men that like anime, there's black men that play lacrosse, there's black men that like hip hop, there's black men that like rock and roll, there's black men that are in the Black Panthers, right? There's black men that, of all different kinds. And unless we're providing that different type of black man for all of our black boys to be able to look up to and say, yo, I could be that guy, right? Um, I, I could do what he does, right? And the second piece of this too is uh, some of the work that Block is doing right now is, is in a conjunction with a local university uh, and a grow your own teacher program. So the, the local university partners with local schools to be able to um, enroll students from the hood and get them interested in education as a 15, 16, 17 year old, right? Like not many of us were. Um, then they fast track them with dual credits and get them through schools of ed and then get them uh, with more student teaching when it comes down to it and get them more experience with creating some better educators. We know how that works. But the real burden that I'm seeing right now and the barrier that I'm seeing right now is exactly what y'all was talking about, this terrible experience, right? I had, I, Mark Lamont Hill actually described it, school for black people as being a scene of a crime, 
So if you're talking about this place where I've been traumatized, where people told me I ain't shit, people told me I was going to die with shit, I actually saw literal violence, right? Like, why would I want to return back to that type of place? And kids need to have their mindset shifted about what education is. Education is actually being revolutionary. Y'all watching the news. You see what's, you see that something is wrong with the world. You see that the president needs to be changed. You see we're not educated. You see we're not voting. What's the best way to change it? Is it going into business and making money for yourself, or is it possibly educating the kids and the people in your neighborhood? Nah, you present that chance to kids as a 15, 16 year old, they're usually gonna make the right choice. So I think that's really the push that Block is trying to make when it comes to like recruiting mm-hmm. and changing kids' minds about what it means to be an educator. Yo, yo, black male educator can can dress like this, talk like this, and still quote Shakespeare. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I can I can I can quote quadratic equations while also wearing Black Panther garb. You know what I'm saying? Like these are two things that don't have to be mutually exclusive, and kids need to be able to understand that. You can be, I love the MDN's concept of ratchetemic. You can be ratchet and academic at the same time. We have to redefine that. <laughs> hey, shout out to the block for that that program. And that's that's the thing that I, I find it since I've been in education, especially since I've moved into a leadership role, is schools, uh, high school, middle schools are big on career fairs and things like that, but rarely do we ever have a teacher sitting in that career fair talking to kids about becoming an educator Man, say or, that again. or a principal or anything like that. It's always everything else but education. Like we're in the house of education and we're not promoting our own people. Say so that again. Um, definitely that's what I wanted to kind of see kind of what your thoughts was is that. And that's one thing I know I've been continuing trying to push every time I run into my school. We're doing a career fair, career jumping expo. I want educators there because I value my experience. I value what I do for my community and things like that. And I don't want it to be a second thought when kids get to college. Oh, I ain't got nothing else to do. So now let me go and become a teacher. No, I want you to come out of high school knowing I'm going to go back and change the world by changing my community. But I think the other myth, too, is a financial piece, too, right? As men mm-hmm. and as as black men, we are uh, infatuated with this inflated sense of wealth, right? Mm-hmm. Let's not even get on that. But it was real funny, and I'm, and I'm going to be quiet for a minute. On New Year's, <clears throat> I was out with my partner, and we went to a fancy restaurant here in town, and one of the servers, they was like 16-year-old kids. It was like high school students. And, you know, I am i can't help it. When I see kids, we chopping it up, you know what I'm saying? I'm having a good time with them. And they're black kids. So I'm like, Yo, y- y'all ever thought, every time, I'm like, black man, y'all ever thought about teaching? Man, no, man, I would never be no punk-ass teacher, man. And they're like, well, why not? Well, first of all, I'm trying to be in business. I'm trying to make money. And I'm like, you know, it's New Year's Eve. I'm kind of dressed kind of nice, you know what I'm saying? I'm like, well, look at me. You know what I'm saying? I ain't struggling. You know what I'm saying? I, got, I caught an Uber here. You know what I'm saying? I'm out to a nice dinner. I'm <laughs> for New Year's Eve. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And just even that, you can see it in their face. Like, oh, yeah, man, you are you are tripping, man. Like, you are pretty tight. Like, maybe teaching ain't that bad. Maybe it ain't just all nerds. <laughs> but, and that's, but that's the part you talk about, like, educating them mm-hmm. to get rid of that myth of what they think it is. Because you're right. That's the first thing that comes up. Like, I, I don't want to be broke being a teacher. But I tell them, look. I catch flights like I catch Ubers around here. Like I'm always trying to go somewhere. I ain't never missed a paycheck. On me. So, <laughs> but you you know what that is though too. A lot of times, for what I've seen, black male teachers they get into these schools and they don't be their authentic self. So these black boys don't really see the real. Yeah. I was 22 yeah. when I became a teacher, and I got two full sleeve tattoos, and I wore t-shirts on Fridays all the time for that reason. They was like, "Dang, this dude got tattoos, right?" Like, and I'm teaching high school English, so it's like. I'm the high school English teacher with a with an arm full of tattoos, and we talking about the tale of two cities, right? But immediately I can switch, and now I'm about to drop this Langston Hughes on you, like, dang. But on top of that, like, but that's being that authentic self is what really gets you that connection with the kids. Like I said, my connection from the day mm-hmm. I walked into a classroom back in 2006 was 
I've been in Rocket Air Force One before Nelly started talking about it. But oh my god, <laughs> you know. But it, but but students are like, oh my god, you see you see Mr. Smith's Air Force Ones. Where you get them from, Mr. Like so that's that connection piece. And then you start to have that conversation like, hey. So I think that's that piece where people think I got to be this um, this certain get up, you know, certain time. Don't get me wrong. I do suit Monday. I've been doing suit Monday before I can make this. But on Friday, you best believe I'm wearing some Air Force Ones and a hoodie. <laughs> I wanted to step in and actually say that um, I actually was a high school teaching professions major. I usually to say that um, in my um, in my bio or introduction. Um, but yeah, in high school, I actually had was trained to actually become a teacher. In Ohio, we have Ohio Future Educators of America, um, and we also had the STARS program. Um, so Ohio Future Educators of America was an um, academic uh, program that you would meet all of the other uh, people that was in high school that wanted to become teachers as well. We all meet at like Akron, Ohio. Um, and we had like different competitions and everything. It was really like a nerdy type of thing for real, for real. but it was dope. Um, and then we had a STARS program, which was student uh, teachers achieving real success. And during the summertime, we would actually um, have a, it was a student teaching camp for high schoolers uh, for us to learn. And when I literally all black students, like 50-50 male and, and women, like it was crazy to actually like see that. And so I got five college credits to actually become a, uh, to, to go and major into education at the University of Cincinnati. And I eventually actually decided to leave that profession because I, I mean, that major because I was the only black male in the program. I was with white women. I always thought that if I was at an HBCU, I probably would have stayed, but listening to to your story, I'm like, dang, like, so it was the same exact thing at the at a HBCU as well. So like, that was the first, this, this literally this conversation is the first time I ever heard that, um, that, that it's the same thing. It, it happens also at HBCU. So I, I don't know what I would have actually did, but like just being the only, maybe because it was like women in front of me and it would have been like, you know, at least we had, I would have had like skin color, but I didn't have race nor gender, you know, nothing. Mm -hmm. um, and it was literally a black woman professor who actually told me that um, I said that I wanted to work in inner city schools and stuff like that. That's what we would say at the time. And she was like, well, we teach you, you know, well, where you could work at a private school. And that's when I knew that like, this was not the program for me. I went to communications where all the black people was at. And if we got people out there listening, you know, you never know who's going to pick up on this. Like I, I want to encourage the young black men who are thinking about going to education. Cause once I decided to go into education, I wanted to go into education to coach. Cause I played sports. I wanted to be a coach. I'm like, I'm just going to be a PE teacher. And I'll never forget my uh, college advisor, Mr. Allen black, shout out to Mr. Allen black told me like, you can be, I'm, I'm not going to try to stop you from being a, you know, a gym teacher. If that's what you want to do. He said, but there's certain things if you go into, you know, that you can, you know, always have employment. He was like, what's something that you love to do in school? And I was like, well, I love math. He's like, I'm telling you, if you go be a black male math teacher, you gonna always have a job. Yeah, You're going to be able to call your mm -hmm. own shot whenever you want to call it. And that's, I mean, I've, I've had people when I was in the classroom coming like, Hey, can you come teach for me? I remember my second year I had, a highfalutin suburban district coming like, hey, we want you to come teach in our district. And I tell people all the time, those two years were very eye-opening for me because we always hear about, you know, Karen coming to the hood to teach black kids. I was a kid from the hood going to teach these suburban highfalutin white kids. And it, it was a struggle for me. Like, I couldn't relate to a damn thing about these kids. I don't know nothing about my parents going to Fiji for a week and leaving me with the nanny. Uh, and that's why you ain't did your homework all week. So uh, I definitely want to just, you know, make sure, you know, black kids, you, if you're going to go into education, just make sure you pick the right area of education to go into because I'm gonna tell you like people tell me all the time, social studies teachers are a dime a dozen. 
But if you go and teach it, you know, special ed or science, math, foreign language or elementary, like I, I'm a big proponent of black males being elementary teachers. I think if you a black male being a kindergarten, first grade teacher, that's dope to set that foundation for a kid. Bro, the numbers get down to less than 1% when it comes to elementary black male educators, right? Mm -hmm. So nationally, it's 2%. In Missouri, it's less than 1.5. And then when you talk about elementary school teachers, just minuscule, dog. And and that's that's a lot of the stereotypes and archetypes that we think about when we think about teaching as being feminine. Uh, you also don't hear about man nannies either, right? Like there's there's a there's a weird kind of um, I don't want to say weird, there's a there's a different feeling when it comes to men and young children, right? But but that's 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 when they need us, right? If kids can't read by fourth grade, they're not gonna graduate from high school. And that's a crazy to even think about that slippery slope, but it takes that quick before they have they behind. That's because they yeah. took us out the home, right? Go ahead, Bob. I know you're gonna say yeah. something, Go ahead. No, I, I was just gonna say, you know, there's a lot of things that y'all touched on, um, a lot of Ohio connections in here. So I I, I grew up <laughs> in in, in, the, in in Columbus. Shout um, out to the O. To, to start off with, and uh, you know, one of the I don't like Columbus about, like that though, but it's okay. It's Ohio. We're gonna talk about Ohio right now. It is what it is. So, you know, you're really not gonna like the later part of my story. But anyway, <laughs> my parents did a lot of sacrificing in order for me to get into the good schools, to be mm -hmm. in, you know safe places. So you know what that means. That means mm -hmm. I, I I grew up in schools with with mostly white students. Mm. You know, throughout throughout my career, um, elementary school, um, middle school, we moved up to Finley, so just south of Toledo there. And you know, I was Shout I was out like to Toledo. Shout out to Toledo. Um, but you know, I, I think it's it's interesting. You know, I, I had one black male teacher when I was in middle school, sixth grade teacher, um, uh, Mr. Gusa was my Swahili teacher. Uh, you don't hear that very often. No, no. But that's Columbus for you, know. Right. I'm just saying. It's, it's pretty good. Gahanna. You were yeah, the Gahanna. Hey, the, the, hey that, that's, yeah. that's, where my, that's where my dad is right now. Anyway. As soon as you was talking, uh, I was like, yeah, I figured it out. <laughs> oh, hey, but, but Columbus got some of the best Caribbean restaurants, though. I ain't going to lie. Yes, they do. <laughs> there you yeah. go. But, but you know, you know, my, my, my venture into education, you know, even though I was mostly in white spaces, I I I still felt um, you know, my teachers pouring into me, even though I didn't mm. have any black male teachers from 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 sixth grade on. Uh, you know, I education was where I wanted to be because like I felt that I could be that example. And you talk about, you know, black males in the in the lower grades, that's really important. But what I when I came in the game, I was like, I, I'm gonna run a school. Like, like mm. that was my, that, that was my, my, my end goal. And I, it, that's actually, it's not going to be the end goal. And we, you know, we can get into that later. Come on, but, brother. <laughs> but, but, I, I think the bottom line is, you know, when you don't see, Secretary when you see Ed. folks doing stuff that you know you can do and you can probably do a little bit better, that, that was my motivation and, and mm. part of my motivation. And, and I just want to, you know, be that example and I want to lead and I want to show what, what black men can do. And, you know, just like y'all have talked about, you know, we're mo not a monolith. We've got so many different things and that auth authenticity is, is so difficult, you know, being, being one of the only in, in the, in these spaces with full, full of white people. I, you know, I'll be completely honest. I've, I've had to, uh, you know, re reserve myself or be a certain way. Um, and, Really, just to to get to where I'm comfortable, like you know, sitting in this in this seat right now, like you know what, I had to adjust to, in, in some certain ways. But hey, guess what? You get in the real ball right now. Mm, I man, hey, and uh, I know I know Unc is, is producing, but I think it was a uh, uh, Kenny Khan uh, ball that 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 works with you. He posted an article in the timeline, and it talked about, and I've read it before. It talks about how important black male teachers are to white kids, right? 
And we, we've, we've talked about the need for black male teachers and what it does for black boys, but that need to put a black man in front of white children, right? I, I, I tell this story all the time. My first impression of white women was the two, my second grade teacher that I had, who was a white woman who was the bomb. She took care of me. She uplifted us. And every time I see a white woman, I, I think of her, right? And that's because she was, she was that, she was that good that I saw. So black men, when we think about the importance of having black men in front of white kids, because right now, what is, what is, what is the, what does they tell us about black men from the internet and entertainment, right? That, that we're thugs and we're savages and we're only athletes and we're only rappers and we're this. But when you got to, when you, when we put us brothers in front of a white kid and we are uplifting them and teaching them, can you imagine by the time they're our age, they won't be the ones that's on the Capitol, right? Marching and protesting an election that's mm -hmm. over, right? They mm -hmm. won't be the ones backing up these police officers shooting black people because they're going to remember, you know what? I had Mr. Smith or I had Mr. McGuire or I had Mr. Shaw, right? I have, they're going to remember that and that's going to be their impression. When they see a black male, it's going to be the impression that we left on them. And so I think that's a powerful art article, man. So what's your thoughts about this important of putting black males in front of white children? And, and I would say all children that aren't just black. It's funny, uh, Secretary of Education, uh, I consider him my current secretary, John King, but he, he had this quote that I always I just mm -hmm. laughed at. It was like, it's hard to be racist when your teacher was a, a, a black male calculus teacher, you know? Like, Come on, it's, man. It's hard, to, it's hard to have that. You know, it, I agree with you. Like, when you have those representations, um, yeah. yeah, I never taught, most of the, all, the school environment I taught at was 100% black and Hispanic. Uh, um, but I definitely, even like, I was even for my like Latino students, like, that was a, that was an important connection. Mm -hmm. I grew up in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. There's black and white. There's not a lot of you know Hispanic, uh, you know Latino Hispanic like population. So that was even. I mean, they pour a lot into me, and I was able to pour into them. Um, so even then, with that difference, I was able to kind of like have that black and brown divide like even closer. You know, I um, mean, like they the got a little for them too. Mm -hmm. Them too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like I, said, I was saying profound. I was going to say profound gentlemen. Um, we have out of the 500 of guys that we that we have in our organization. I know for sure that we have four of our guys um, who are in private majority white schools. Um, and they actually do talk about their experience. And um, luckily we have them at schools where they are able to actually be able to show up as their full authentic self, which is really, really good. Um, we always talk about that a lot. Like one of the schools that um, really sought after pro, it was a majority white, um, school um, here in Charlotte, North Carolina, they literally sought us out and wanted, like, really, like, in a sense, like, courted us, you know, and I asked all of the deep questions so that I wanted to know if it was safe, right? Because for some of our guys, this may be their first, they may be first year teachers going into this. So, like, that first year is important, right? And so I wanted to make sure that, like, that the leadership was ready for that shift and that change. And although, like, they're, we, listening to them. Um, we have three of them all in one, in one school that I'm thinking about right now, but you know, there, there still needs to be some more work. But one thing that they're starting to see is from the parents more specifically, they really are starting to see how the parents are making the shift. Um, and that's another thing that we're seeing too. In Denver, uh, we had a, um, a PTA call us out of Denver um, and heard about Profound Gentlemen, and it's a majority white PTA and they want to actually call their, uh, it's a suburb of Denver, but they want to call their district out 
for not having enough black teachers. So they wanted to know how can they partner with us to be able to do that because they wanted to see more black teachers within their within their community. So it is happening definitely since um, the summertime, but I think like one of the things that we could do as leaders of a nonprofit like Jason and I is like, you know, we don't get any flack for saying, no, we don't wanna work with you, or this is what it takes. Cause we have denied working with certain schools because we know that it wasn't safe for our guys to be able to be in it. Um, Cause ultimately our job is to retain male teachers of color. Uh, so we do have to make sure that that is our primary. Um, and, and yeah, that was, that was a really, really interesting experience, but we are seeing a little bit more of that. I so, have a relevant anecdote before, before we move on from, from this white kids, uh, currently, you know, school, different types of school models are becoming pretty popular due to the pandemic. And there's a, a, a high class, uh, I'll just say a high class family in the Kansas City area that was looking to outsource some tutoring or like at home teaching mm -hmm. for their student. Um, and he's a kid that um, it has been bounced around to a couple different schools around the city. And um, they're they're this family is able to have the resources to be able to, you know, provide this external support, which is a whole other conversation. But I, I'm the only black male teacher this kid, I'm the only black teacher this kid has ever had. I'm, I'm one of the few black people this kid sees, period. Um, and one day I'm sitting through one of his history classes <clears throat> and um, this lady talks about Thomas Jefferson for 60 whole minutes and mentioned Sally Hemings as an allegation mm. at the very end. <laughs> mm. um, and so me and this kid have a conversation where I'll drop him a couple articles. We go through a short little mini lesson about Sally Hemings. And by the end of it, he's irate because his teacher has withheld mm -hmm. information from him about the truth, right? And I, I, I got stuck in that moment because, well, at first, I mean, I didn't think about the impact. I just had to jump in. Like, I'm pissed. Like, nah, we're going to talk about this right now. But reflecting on that moment, right, A, he would have ever heard that story or known that truth if it wouldn't have been the, for the experience of a black male educator in his life. And B, like you guys are saying, this, like we're talking about a very high class family. We're talking about influencers and people with social capital and people, policymakers in the future. And when we're able to present people like me who dress like this, who talk like this, who have conversations like this, who build relationships like that with him, then they're able to look at Black people and brown people different for the for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. They're able to have a, a different type of empathy for the struggle because of the experiences that they had uh, of love from educators. Mm -hmm. So yeah. real quick, because uh, he, he talked about a retention piece, uh, Mr. Shaw, mm -hmm. I want to kind of hit on that before we run up against our hour. But as always, make sure you like and share and go follow the AOS podcast. This is, like I said, we put a lot of work into this show and it's really, we haven't even got to a lot of the topics we wanted to get to. So what we're going to do for the people is we're going to run back a part two in two weeks on Inauguration Day where we got Jonathan Jones and the one and only Sharif Almecki coming on to rap with us about increasing the 2% as well. But I want to, that show, I want to- Look at you with the, uh, the, the teaser. But I want to give you brother the chance to touch on another part of this year because we talked mm -hmm. about the pipeline we talked a lot about getting people into the pipeline yeah. but if you read a lot of research research says 
getting people in is one thing, but where we're having a lot of issues is keeping people in. There's a hole in the pipeline because we're not retaining black men. So what's your thoughts on like, what can we do as a system of black men trying to support other black men to keep them in the profession? I mean, this, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I quoted, you know, That's the John King quote earlier. Uh, yeah. his, they had a report by Ed Trust, I think it was last year, called If You Listen, mm -hmm. We Will Stay, about the voice of teachers of color. That was a really comprehensive report. They had like five or six like key steps. But I mean, that, that's essentially what our work is centered on is that retention piece. We talk about the 2% of men who are in the pipeline, but like data shows that men of color leave, black men leave five times higher than any other demographic of teachers. So as fast as we're, we're leaving, as fast as we're coming in, if you think about any other industry from tech to the police force, if you had that level of attrition that you would have, you know, there would be some type of like national campaign to figure out how do you retain talent. Um, that's it so right there. Yep. That's the, you know, I just feel like, you know, that, to me, that's like a cultural thing. And that's something I'm really interested in thinking about is what is that? You know, I, it's almost like your best recruitment tool has to be a retention strategy. Like if we don't have that retention strategy tight, like how do we expect to attract the next, you know, folks into the profession? So I don't know. That's, that's a great question. Yeah. I mean, even when I was at a, a, you know, at my school as a TFA teacher, like I was a veteran teacher by my second year. I'm saying like I was uh I was seen as <laughs> it was it was and I stayed past my two years and I was I was a veteran like you know it was just we had that type of turnover in the school mm -hmm. um but it was like it wasn't a I, I wasn't a place at that time that I would have recommended a new teacher coming into um mm -hmm. in terms of the leadership structure not the kids at all but we had five principals in the three years that I was there right so it's just those types of school models aren't conducive for us to stay and thrive so that's I mean that's something that, and I'm I can talk all day about too but that's a great report um that I, I like to just watch you know, read and, and, and just kind of make sure I, you know i'm aware of yeah so, i would say uh more oh i'm sorry i, I was just uh piggyback off of jason and say like more of what uh we actually are doing like in a programmatic level um in pg is one one of the things of, of, of actually like where our guys are not staying in education in general not just teaching but like just the profession in total uh is is normally they run into a dead end leadership position. Um, a lot of our guys, one thing that we start to see is that, um, you know, we are helping them to be like excellent teachers in their first year. So at the end of their first year, they're being asked for, you know, to go into different leadership positions that, that, that they're not necessarily even prepared or ready for. And then often these leadership positions don't even lead to the trajectory that they want to actually go into is normally our guys are not actually really seeing the trajectory that they want to go into within education until their third or fourth year. So many of our guys are interested in actually just staying uh, as teachers. But if you pull them out after that first year, you know what I mean? Like you're actually messing up like their pathway. So we, we in profound gentlemen, we do a, a really good job with our coaches and helping them to actually think about the pathway that they want to take and actually taking their time, <laughs> you know what I mean, within Ooh. within the pipeline of of, of, of the profession of where they want to go, um, because they are just they're just moving a little bit too fast and it, it, it's it's messing them up. Right. Yeah. Moving too fast is definitely an uh, issue that I see um, block. Block's been doing like naturally started out on the retention phase. Right? Mm. Um, mm -hmm. I just started branching out as a full time executive director, thinking about the recruitment and the advancement, the two other pillars. Mm -hmm. But the middle piece, right? You can't pour into a cup with a hole in it. it makes no Come sense. On. Um, mm -hmm. so the, the three pillars that we really were founded on was connect, develop, and engage. And those are our three retention pillars. If we can create networks and connect other black men like this, create support networks, create curriculum networks, create different types of small working groups, um, 
development, affinity-based development that's focused on the issues that black men actually have in schools and then are rammed by other black men that are giving them viable solutions. And then the engagement piece is, is vital, the community. How do we get them out to the community, volunteering, mentoring, getting some actual stake and ownership in the community that they live in. With those three mm -hmm. things, I really found, I mean, Block is running up on five, year five now. We have a cohort of 10 to 12 guys that were here since day one that are now five year five six teachers mm -hmm. and that that's mm -hmm. like the point right like if we can keep when i first started doing this i like jason you're right like within one to three years all black males are out of education and mm -hmm. i thought by saying we, if we can double that if we can get keep black men in education five to seven years as opposed to one to three we can change the educational landscape because what we begin to see is when black men stay in education longer they get creative they they get revolutionary they they climb ladders and they're able to be be better, right? We see mm -hmm. guys like, like us that have been in education for a long amounts of time that are revolutionizing and changing the game. These guys that are in Block's first cohort that are now year five and six educators are music producers, authors, right? Curriculum specialists, right? Like these guys that are now, we fought through it. We, we hung in there with each other. Mm -hmm. We got the development that we needed. And now we're able to, to make some ducats off our education work and stay in it long term. Man, man, that's powerful. Look, fellas, we, we right at that hour, but before we close, we always do something called Final Thoughts. And so what I want you guys to talk about is how can folks reach out to you, learn more about your programs, connect with you. So uh, what we always do, we give you all the, the, the individual screen. So uh, we'll, we'll start with the brother from Profound Gentleman. How can folks reach out to you, uh, connect with you if they want to be a part of it, um, be in the space or, or, or send someone your way who needs that support? How can they reach out to you? All right, perfect. We always do that. <laughs> but yeah, I think um one of the things, yeah, we we are a national organization where we're able to also uh um uh, get in get in uh contact with people who are also in rural communities, which is super important right now. Um we're seeing a growing number of our guys from there. For uh we literally just hit like a slither of the work that we do. We focus on pre-service all the way up to guys who are principals. Um, we have a guy that's actually starting um, his own school right now, over 500 people. But then our network, we do retreats. We have a conference coming up online, uh, March 12th through the 14th. Um, and then um, we also do socials when everything comes back. But the retreats and socials and the conferences are usually like in person and stuff. But if you're interested in joining, uh, you, you just go to profoundgentleman.org forward slash membership. And um, and we're on Twitter at Pro, uh, Profound Gen on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram is uh, Profound Gentleman. We also have a magazine. That was a big thing for us too. We wanted to uh, change the what it looks like to be a male teacher of color. We talked about that uh, today in a conversation. In a magazine, and there's food recipes. There's uh, a GQ little edition where it's like what clothes is in and just different things like that. And articles written uh, for us by us, which is just like so dope. So we already on our second edition, the December one just came out and then we'll have another one come out in March and that'll be our, our third one. So definitely check us out. There's $5 print and then uh, $2 online. Man, that's love. So we always, you know, AOS, man. So if anybody listening, We'll want a, uh, a magazine. Hit us up. We're going to buy. Uh, you always buy seven for the founders. So I'm going to purchase seven for the founders. You know, but, uh, 15, 15. There you go. But, <laughs> what you got? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, 
Uh, Block, man, how can folks reach out to you, connect with you, learn more about the organization? Um, uh, man, I really appreciate um, being in the opportunity to be here today. I think I got a profound gentleman membership. Might be a couple years old. I've been hearing about you guys for a while, and I really appreciate the opportunity to get on and chat with y'all. You can check the block out at uh, theblockkc.org. Uh, our next event coming up, development is around social emotional health for black men. We got a black male uh, therapist that comes in every year and does some social emotional mm -hmm. check-ins and workshops with us, especially in the dead of winter. It's in February next month. We also got a conference coming up in April. So I'm definitely going to register for Profound Gentlemen's Conference. Our conference is called Liberated. It's a conference for black men, by black men. Um, and, and it should be it should be a pretty dope event. So it's going to be a busy spring and the block is hot. We're going to keep it that way. There <laughs> <laughs> we go. Little <laughs> Hey, I, I gotta get the I gotta get the plug on that hoodie. But uh Doc Ball, closing thoughts. I'm gonna make mine real quick. So uh sister, I think it's Levine Cheeseboro put up. Um, if it's low paying for women, imagine the feeling men have around that. My son is absolutely running from the gift to teach. He just wants he just don't want it, and it seems it's around the money. I'll say this to your son, and you can share this with your son. If you get into teaching and he commits to it, being a black male and being a great teacher. You can elevate quickly through the profession. And it's real easy as a black male if you start early at 22 before you 30 to make six figures. And just like with anything, it's, 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 it's about how much money you make, but it's also about how you take care of that money. And being an educator, you can make enough money where you can take care of your family, go on trips, and buy yourself nice clothes. So just let him know that if he gets into this like anything, he commits to it. He can be great. That's my final thought. That's good. Uh, I'll finish up. My, my, my final thought is quick uh, as well. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about this morning, uh, just preparing for school before I even knew um, about what was what was going to happen uh, in D.C. is the value that we bring, uh, no matter what our role is um, as a student, uh, as a staff member. It doesn't matter. Um, we have value that we add to our school community. So make sure that you don't forget that. You are valued, you are important. So make sure that you show up your best every single day because we love you and we value you. Appreciate it. Well, that closes out, man, with your hey. uh, uh, special <laughs> announcements. So, well, first of all, like I said, I was I was gonna get into some stuff about what we talked about today, but since we are gonna do part two, I'm gonna hold off and wait for that. Uh, don't forget two weeks, uh, we coming back with part two of Raising the 2%. Uh, Jonathan Johnson and Sharif Almecki will be our guests. Um, but, you know, here on AOS, we big about giving people their roses. So I definitely want to give roses uh, before I get to that. Let me say I want to shout out to our guests. Thank you, fellas, for coming on. Um, like I said, I've been working with the block for almost a year now. Cornell's doing big things. Please make sure you hit them up. PG, we appreciate y'all. But I want to give flowers to my two co-hosts, uh, two brothers who are doing big things. First of all, I want to start with Ball. And I know y'all don't see Ball on Twitter and things like he's been. But Ball is actually knee deep and getting his doctorate done and getting that knocked out so he could be Dr. Ball here soon. So shout out to you, brother, for doing that work. And then I want to give some love to my main man, David, who is one of the dopest writers and bloggers out here. So if you don't follow, um, I get, give me if I get it wrong, but the uh, Indy. Uh, NDK 12. Yep. If you if you're a part of the NDK 12 blog, please go do so. Um, the dude is a prolific writer doing big things in Indy. So I want to make sure that they, you know, rec that I see the work that they're doing and they inspire me. I've been kind of slipping on my blog game, but we got a new blog dropping this Friday uh, from the Expel Principal. Also, I want to just shout out 
and make sure if you haven't registered for the state of black educators conference yet please make sure you do so uh your boy will be speaking and i'm actually gonna be speaking on this topic here raising the two percent is what i'm gonna be talking about at the conference so um as always you've been listening to the aos podcast like we said we back in two weeks uh with a special guest sharif Almecki and jonathan johnson uh make sure you like share this make sure you hit somebody up and appreciate the fellas for coming on again Hey, yo, we had our, we had our first cap on the show, man. Happy Founders Day, Jason, brother. I missed you yesterday, man. Happy Founders Day, man. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> no. hey, peace, everybody. Welcome. Go, Mom. <laughs>